ora and welcome. This is the New Zealand Wine Podcast and I'm Boris Lamont. Thanks for listening in to this episode where we're speaking with Renee Dale from Moi Wines in Auckland, New Zealand. Renee is the winemaker at Moi as well as doing a few other things. So right now, let's go have a chat with Renee. So hi Renee. Hi Boris. How are you? I'm really good after that glass of Chardonnay. Yeah, well it's, it always helps, doesn't it? Thanks <laughs> for bringing that in. Um, nice to have you here. It's good to be here. It's pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, no, it's very exciting being here in the studio. Yeah. It's all on. <laughs> so um, where, did, where did your story begin? What was your first memory of, of wine? Mm. There is a story of my sister's wedding when I was 13 years old. And basically, my dad bought a whole lot of wine and took it down to Whanganui where she was getting married but it seemed that no one really drank wine down in Whanganui okay (laughs) okay but the the catering staff opened every single bottle oh to to be ready to be ready to pour but no one drank any right (laughs) so dad took a whole lot of this wine back home and put it under the the house where you, you think that you would store wine right but he's not... Open, though. Open, <laughs> with the corks shoved in. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And so. um, he's not... They, my parents weren't really wine drinkers at all, um, but I remember kind of going downstairs and there's dust everywhere and all these bottles of wine under the house and it was so mysterious. And I just kind of opened one and took a little swig and then... Right, because it was probably quite easy to get the, yeah. get the cork out. <laughs> I quite liked it, so maybe a week later I did it again. Right. <laughs> and I just kind of got fascinated and, tr- and intrigued with, with wine. Yeah. I didn't continue swigging from the bottle, but... Right. You bought a glass down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually remember, so who knows? <laughs> right. But uh, I didn't grow up in wine or anything, so it was quite strange, actually, um, I actually wanted to be a professional football player for New Zealand. Oh, wow. Um, I was playing pretty high-level okay. high football. Right. So you've been watching, um, at the moment, just for our listeners, the um, FIFA Women's World Cups on. Have you been watching that? I have some of it. Yeah, it's been some good games on. Yeah, and some of the girls in the team, uh, well, they're not girls now, the women, I played with growing up and it's, right. it's quite amazing to see them doing so well. Yeah. You feel like you still know them. Right, yeah. But you don't. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, or maybe they don't know you yeah. <laughs> anymore. Um, no, I mean, it's um, completely aside, but it's, it's quite a great, um, good tournament. I've watched quite a bit of it. I mean, I really like my football and I think oh, yeah. um, uh, the, the quality of play is really up there. It's quite it's good. It's incredible to mm. see how far it's come mm. and the US team's just doing amazing mm. at the mm. moment. So that's always fun. But I quite like cheering from the sideline with a glass of wine in my hand. Right, now. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so what, 18. What, um, what varietal do you think goes well with football? Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> does it de- depend who's playing? It does, and, and what time of the morning you're watching it, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, we'll just go with port. I think port right. always yeah, works. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Good, okay, and sorry, I'm digressing, so back to... Um, you drinking wine under the house? Yeah, so um, that was 13 and then my 
professional football career dreams, they kind of dwindled a little bit. I realised I didn't really have the professional sports playing mindset Mm -hmm. that you needed. And I wanted to have fun and travel and explore life a little bit. So I read this newspaper article in the Herald about a female winemaker who studied at EIT and was traveling the world. And I thought, that sounds like me. Pretty much every beautiful place in the world has wine. Yeah. So I went and studied that for three years at in um, Hawke's Bay. Right. Okay. Good. Good. And so what, straight out of school into, into doing that? Yeah. Straight out of school. I kind of wanted to get away from home a little bit mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I have to say it was quite a unique university experience for an 18-year-old. Um, a lot of the students at that time were changing vocations, so they were yep. older students. So while my friends were partying it up in Otago and Wellington and having a great time, I was having dinner parties right. with my <laughs> older <laughs> peers, which I loved. It was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can actually remember most of my university, which right. is Right, yeah, okay, good. which is yeah, a little bit different to some. Um, and probably you can um, probably remember and appreciate the conversations that you, yeah. you had. Yeah. 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 Um, but I actually, during university, I got a scholarship through Romeo Brigato mm-hmm. and got sent over as the first female student to go to Italy. Cool. And that was really great because they were still deciding what they wanted to, the scholarship to look like. And I ended up just going and eating and drinking my way through Italy. So I didn't do any work. I did have to write a paper on what I learnt there, but I just had a blast. Yeah. How long was that for? That was a good five weeks. Wow. And wow, that's a good stint. Yep. I, I came back with five kilograms more than I had. <laughs> so that was about a kilo a week. <laughs> it was a pretty good effort. <laughs> so, so much for the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> oh, wow, that's um, that's very cool. And like all through Italy? Yeah, so mostly northern Italy. Yeah. Um, starting in Conegliano, where you learnt about Prosecco, and then down through to Umbria, is it? And then Tuscany and up to Piemonte and back mm-hmm. across. And they looked after me pretty well. I had a few weird... Sounds like it. <laughs> ...experiences, but... Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is Italy. Um <laughs> And any any standout memories for you from, from that time? Anything that you can still particularly yeah. recall? Oh, there's so many, but probably the moment I realised that, yes, the wine industry was for me, was my experience with the team at the Antonori um, in Bulgari, I believe, which is on the coast of, so it's still sort of Tuscan wine but it's on the coast and they had this incredibly large I think it was like 200 hectares of land not all of it was under vine they had a a small protected forest area where they would have hunting you could go in and hunt boar wild boar and things like that right 
and they put me up in their amazing guest house and their tiny little winery, which was for premium wines, that was so clean and pristine and beautiful. And the wines were beautiful. The people were really friendly. You could see the the ocean. I was just blown away. Yeah, quite idyllic. Yeah. 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 Did you go and hunt a boar? No, I didn't. I was only there for two nights, but I did actually manage to um, break their light bulbs in the process of plugging in something. (laughs) And I was so embarrassed that I just went to bed. (laughs) I didn't say anything. (laughs) That's that's just how we turn out the lights. Yeah. Ah, very good. And so how far through your studies were you? Was that at the end or? That was in my second year of a three-year right. degree and I, I needed it. I needed it because the first two years were almost like a Bachelor of Science. There were a few whiny papers, but it wasn't until my third year that I really got to sink my teeth into wine studies. Right. And at that point when I was... When I got the scholarship, I was a bit umming and ahhing about whether I wanted, really wanted to do this, mm-hmm. and it just solidified my love for the wine industry. Right, right. So is it quite intense, the studies, the three years? Um, when you're fresh out of high school, I think that it's quite expected, and it, it's an expected level of oh, studying. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, because you, you, you're into it, you're used yeah. to it, yeah, yeah. But I think if you're changing your career or if you're just doing it out of interest, it was probably quite full on. Mm. 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 Okay. And then um, end of that three years, what was next? Well, I actually, so I suppose my first wine job was at Trinity Hill down in Hawke's Bay. Yep. But that was during my studies and then I'd finished my studies and I wanted to come back to Auckland where I was from. And I worked at Villa Maria out near the airport Mm -hmm. for about eight months and made friends for life during that vintage, doing crazy hours. Um, I was on night shift at the end of vintage, and that was when you're just resting your head against a tank and falling asleep type hours. Mm. But it was really fun. Um, I'm still in touch with most of those people who I met that vintage. Right, right. So, so pretty special because it was your sort of very first yeah. complete. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, at the time, I probably didn't learn so much, but well, you, you get thrown into the deep end quite a lot at some of those bigger wineries, which is really good because you sink or swim, you have to learn. Right. But just upon reflecting on the vintage, I can recall things now and think, oh, that's, that's interesting what we're doing now because this is what we did at Villa Maria or this isn't what we did at Villa Maria. Okay. So there's still a continuing learning right. that's yeah. going okay. on. So you, yeah, so you continue com- continually comparing mm. the cycle almost or yeah. what you're doing now as to what you might have done in the past or… Absolutely. Yeah. And right. Okay. Because how many how many vintages past is that for you now? Oh wow! I don't know. That's a long <laughs> time. Quite a few. Uh, I would say maybe 
15. Right, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So quite a few, mm. yeah. Mm. But I can recall a lot of what we did and at the time it didn't mean anything, but now it means more. Yeah, you've got context for it and yeah. something to compare it with. Or uh, lots uh, of things to compare it with. I mm. think that's the beauty of making wine is that you're just always learning, mm. constantly learning, even when you don't know it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you you're throwing um, in new raw materials, aren't you? Mm. Every every vintage. So. Mm. And it was also such a great experience to have. We had an amazing winemaking team who are pretty much still there now. Um, but also to work for Villa Maria, who are such a legendary wine producer in New Zealand. Yeah. And they've done so well even since then. Mm. That was really helpful to have them on my CV as well. Mm. Um, but I, I soon skipped over to the US and did my first overseas vintage. I worked for Stag's Leap Winery. Ah, okay. Which is yeah. part of the Treasury Group. Mm-hmm. And is that um, Sonoma? That's no. in Napa. Oh, Napa. Yeah, yep, just next door to Sonoma. Right. Napa Valley, sort of like the Hollywood for winemakers. You mm. know, you go over there and there's huge budgets. And if you can make it over there, you feel like a king or a queen. Right. It's, they, they love winemakers over there. You're kind of a rock star. Okay, yeah. Um, and I got seduced by that quite a lot. And ended up going back for three vintages okay. in a row. Oh, okay. So you'd, you'd come back here and then, then go over, sort of alternate. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of um, young people in the industry do that. Mm-hmm. They call it vintage hopping. Or, um, And I actually came back and went to the Yarra Valley and right. did a vintage in Australia. Yeah. And then went back to America and did a vintage at another winery called Pride Mountain Vineyards. That, to me, was the first time I'd seen someone who I looked up to in the industry. There's a a female winemaker there by the name of Sally Johnson. And then she's married now, so it's Sally Johnson Blum. But to me, she's always SJ. And... Um, I saw this young woman who was making cult wines in Napa, just killing it in her career, and she was only like 36 or something. Blew my mind. And I'd never really had a mentor in the wine industry yeah. Yeah. before that. Right, okay. And so you still keep in touch? Yeah, we're still... We, she messaged me today, actually. Oh, cool. Very <laughs> cool. Oh, that's really special. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huge um, supporter of women in wine, but also just just good winemaking. Right, yeah. Really um, encouraging as well. Mm. And one of my vintages there, she actually asked me to blend wine for a client. And I'd never done that before. I was such a baby winemaker. I'd never blended a wine, let alone blended one for a client. I knew the concept of what you had to do. Mm. Um, And I had all these wine components in front of me and started blending. She wasn't there that day. And I just ended up just having fun. It was just such a great day. Mm. In fact, blending is one of the best parts of winemaking. Right. And I just wasn't quite getting it. 
and then probably this latter half of the day, I made a blend and I nailed it. I was so excited. I had to walk around the vineyard just to cool off. <laughs> and I, I had what, it, what sort of blend was it? Can uh, I can't remember. It was a Cabernet Merlot blend with a little bit of Malbec, I believe, mm-hmm. and a secret ingredient, a little three percenter. Right. Okay. And I don't really want to say what it is. <laughs> Trade secrets. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But it was another variety that um, just really c- gives it a bit of punch. Right. Not one that you'd commonly use in that blend? or No. Oh. Mm. So it was, yeah, mm. quite fun. But then I got the associate winemaker to come in and taste them just in case I'd had so many tastings that day that I was, you know, a bit mm. tiddly or something. But he loved it, and they used that blend for their client, and that client's wines were being served at the White House. Oh, nice. Wow. So I knew how important it was, Yeah. and it was really such a an honor to have blended that wine for them. Right, yeah. Mm. Well, and um, your mentor, sorry, I forgot the name, Sarah, was it? Sally. Sally. Yeah. Um, obviously had had faith in you, trusted you to be able to, to yeah. be able to do it, you know, and that's, um, so it's part of what a great mentor does and mm. it puts a challenge in front of you that they know you can, mm-hmm. you can rise to. Mm. Absolutely. And she always did that. So it was never about her ego. And I think it's because she's from the Midwest of America. So she's real humble right. and just such a lovely human. Yeah. No, oh, that's very cool. Mm. Nice. No, that's great. You keep in, keep in touch still. Um, yeah, mm. I actually got a friend of mine to take her a bottle of my wine over to her. Oh, nice. And she messaged me today saying, we had it today, oh, cool. it was so good. <laughs> what was that? What was it? Oh, that was my Moir Wines Rosé. Right, okay. Mm. In 2018. Mm. Um, and they don't really make rosés over a napper. Right. Really. No. But, so it was quite cute for her to give me praise for a wine that that I really don't really make over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is interesting, isn't it? That they don't... They don't yeah, it's just taken off over here. Mm, mm. Cool. All right. And then, so you did a little bit of vintage hopping? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so both sort of here and you mentioned in the Yarra as well. Who did you yeah. who did you spend time with there? Over there I was at Coldstream Hills. Mm-hmm. And that was during the Black Friday, Black Saturday fires. Um, I think it was 2010, if I'm right. And I got there a few days before the fires. That day the fires happened, I was going from Geelong over to the Yarra Valley, which is, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half drive, maybe a bit more. Hmm. And my friend's car, who she was driving me over there, she had no air conditioning. And it was so hot. I think it was close to 50 degrees that day. Wow. And the only thing that was our saving grace was this bottle of vodka that I'd had in the (laughs) freezer. (laughs) And I was just clinging to it in the car ride just to try and keep myself cool. Right. She was fine. She's an Aussie. Right. But for me, I was just so unfamiliar. Oh, I think anything over 40 is 
pretty hard to yeah. manage. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, and that was actually a really interesting vintage to see, firstly, how to manage staff who are coming over and have expectations of working and then not able to work because there's no vintage. So seeing how each different winery managed that was right. really interesting. Oh, be- because of the because of the fires. Yeah. Right. right. So the fires do you recall the the fires that swept Victoria and yeah, killed vaguely. hundreds of people? Yes. And they were just such a firestorm of fire mm. happened so quickly that you have st- stories of really strange survivors where they can see this fireball of fire coming at them, but mm. the wind changed. Right. And so their vineyard was spared or their house was spared. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Um, really, really tough times for some wineries over there, but I went back a few times and saw them really pull together and recover mm. Mm. as well. In fact, there's a really cool story um, – James Halliday, so he used to own Coldstream Hills. So his house is right next door to the winery I was working at. And he would wander down after work with a couple of bottles of his wines from his wine cellar. And if he wasn't happy with them, he'd wander back up to his house and he'd pull something else out of his cellar. And he was so passionate about what he was doing that he ended up cooking our end of vintage meal for the vintage staff. He cooked for all of us. I think there was about 12 people. Yeah. And he opened a bottle from everyone's birth year. Oh, wow. So I got to try a 1986 Bordeaux, if I'm right, <laughs> which was, it was interesting. Yeah. It wasn't the most amazing, but it was pretty good. Um, and I'll never forget that kind of hospitality. Mm from this legend of the Australian wine scene Mm. who's there, I think it was maybe mid-70s, maybe close to 80, and he was cooking wine, um, our end of vintage meal for us. Yeah, nice. And during the fires, I believe, if I've got the story right, he basically saw that this fire was coming and so he just went down to his cellar and thought well what am I going to open it's like the safest place to be and you know what a way to go yeah but the winds changed right and went right around Coldstream Hills and it was fine I don't know how many bottles of wine he opened though (laughs) (laughs) and what was his cooking like was it a good really good oh really best mashed potatoes I've ever had in my life oh okay yeah you can't go past good mashed potatoes (laughs) no way Oh, good. Oh, cool. All right. And then, um, what what was um, what was what was next in the? So after that, I went back to America, obviously, and yep. really wanted to try and stay there because, like I said, I got seduced by that idea that winemakers are amazing, mm. and you get to go to all these incredible events and the people you meet. Some of them are celebrities and sports stars, and it's such an enticing world. But GFC hit, and the 
wineries in Napa, they just seemed to tighten everything and weren't really hiring people. It was a very strange time to be there. And so after my third vintage, I came back to New Zealand yeah. and realised, I know more about Napa Valley wine than I do about my own country's wine. And for me, that was a little bit of a, something to be a little bit embarrassed about. So I set to to try and find a job here. And I did work at Man of War for Vintage, which mm-hmm. was really cool. On Waiheke? Yeah. On Waiheke. Yeah. It's um, one of the, the days during Vintage we actually had no power. And Duncan, the winemaker there, he's so dry, you never know if he's being serious or not. And he said to everyone, who we're all just sitting around having a cup of something, and he said, all right, I need a volunteer. And no one put their hands up. And so I eventually slowly put my hand up. And I think my mate Tom as well. And he said, all right, here you go. Two fishing rods, go and catch something. (laughs) There's nothing you can do on Waiheke with no power. So he just sent us off to go fishing. Yeah. What did you catch? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I was so disappointed. Tried to catch a stingray, but I wasn't having a bar of it. wasn't cooperating, no. And then we, we actually did trade and someone else came out. and It was such a beautiful day, though. No power, sun shining. You've got the wharf, beautiful water. Yeah. A couple of bears. What a day to be alive. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? We have to take those opportunities when yeah. they present themselves. Yeah. Definitely. And it's been really cool to see Man of War grow as a, a brand and also as a, a place to actually visit. It's one of yeah. the my favorite places, I think, to, mm. to go and visit. Hop on a boat. Bam, you're on Waiheke Island. You feel like you could be anywhere in the world. No, it's it's a very special place to get to, and we're very lucky just having it just a ferry ride away from mm. Auckland City. Yeah. Yep. There's some great, great places to, uh, you know, great wineries, great wine, great places to go and go and see out on Waiheke. Absolutely. Mm. Um, again, that solidified that I loved the industry. Mm. I did actually struggle to find work after that vintage because GFC was still happening and in New Zealand all the winemakers just stayed put so there's not really any jobs opening up yep. and I I did actually have a job as a receptionist at a medical clinic right? just to buy it over some yep. of that time and I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed pretending like I was a paramedic. <laughs> People would come in with nails through their hands uh-huh. or, you know, they're having a heart attack or something and you just jump into gear and it was so fun. Right. Did you, was that, you didn't stay on the island, that wasn't on? No, that no, was in Auckland. Back in Auckland. Auckland yeah. City. Yeah. Um, and for a moment I thought, maybe I could be a paramedic. There's no wine jobs going. There's a lot of stories in Italy and everything of, surgeons also making wine so mm. I thought oh, oh yeah maybe do it in reverse <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime I put a, an ad on wine jobs online about myself 
And I got a phone call one day from London. And this guy, Philip, he's a Kiwi, but he's in London and he had a little bit of a, a lag on the phone. And he was saying, Renee, I've just read about you on Wine Jobs Online and you're a winemaker and I was hoping maybe you could make your dream wine for me. I'll pay for it all, but I just want you to make it. And I was thinking, is this guy joking? Is this a scam? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. Next time you're in New Zealand, let's make it happen. So he came out and over the course of two years, he made my dream happen. Wow. Um, and I got to meet such an amazing group of people, both in Auckland and in Gisborne, where I got the fruit from. Mm-hmm. I made Philip a thousand bottles, just tiny, of Gisborne Viognier. Right. 2013 nice. mm-hmm. and it was fruit from Paul Titchen's vineyard so he, he's got another label down there I think it's TW oh yep been around forever and when I went down to look at the fruit and determine whether it was right to pick he put me up at his house they cooked me dinner it was such an amazing hospitality again mm. um so basically, I became a flying winemaker for one vintage. Right, yeah. And nice. that was pretty cool. Yeah. but it, So you, you produced it up in Auckland? Yeah, so yep. I processed it down at the EIT winery in Gisborne and then brought the juice up to Pleasant Valley and made a tiny batch of Viognier out at Pleasant Valley. Right, okay. Mm. So that process of making the wine at Pleasant Valley meant I got to meet people like Lee, mm-hmm. um, James Rowan, who's now my current boss, all sorts of people who've helped me out yep. with my own brand since then. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Good. And so then after that was just, was that like a one-off? That was a one-off. Yeah. And it was done all in my spare time. In the meantime, I actually got a job at a bottling company called Portavin. Mm-hmm. And again, that was another really great way of meeting people in the industry because we were contract bottling for other wineries. So I got to meet quite a few different winemakers in that way. Yeah. And is that Auckland too? That was Auckland-based. Yep. And it was pretty good money. It wasn't really stretching my brains, but... Yeah, it was, a, it was a good place because I was there for nearly five years and I did learn a lot about a side of the industry that most winemakers just can't be bothered with. Mm. Um, so that was actually a really good experience. Uh, and through the process of making this wine for Philip in the UK, it re- I realised just how I could do my own brand you know, there's nothing really stopping me from making my own wine continuously. So I did. I made a 500-litre batch of Cabernet Franc. And from, that was where in, was that? Where was that source from? Out in West Auckland, actually. Okay, yeah. yeah. And that I did that in 2012. The Viognier was in 2013. And then 2015... 
was really when I started doing it properly. I did another Cabernet Franc 2015 out of West Auckland. 16, I did a rosé because the vintage wasn't very good. And that's just kind of grown from there. So, and did you, from the very beginning, did you have it under the label moi? Or yes. Yep. It's always been under moi. The brand didn't really hit me until 2015, though. Um, you can make the wine and then decide things later. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's interesting because yeah. I come from a family of creative people and entrepreneurs, and a lot of the time, a lot of the podcasts that you listen to, at least, you know, they talk about getting all your ducks lined up and making sure you've done this, that and the other before you start a business. I did it completely differently. Right, yeah. And I'm a Virgo. I like things being aligned and everything in its place. But sometimes you've just got to do it. Mm. And that's how you learn. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can... um you can spend um, too much time working out what the process is and trying to stick to the process rather than just, um, you know, going with what you, you know, sometimes your intuition's good. Absolutely. Yeah. And mm. we've only got so many vintages to actually try things out. And That's right. It I'm is running finite. out of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 32 now, so I've got maybe another 32 vintages left to, like, get it right. Yeah, well, yeah, you probably got a few more than that, but depends how Maybe. it depends how long you want to keep doing it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know if you ever really stop, but hmm. if you think about other creative processes where you're a painter or you're a, a photographer, you've got thousands of opportunities to practice, right? And and get better and better and better. As a winemaker, you don't. Hmm. Hmm. You've got one shot. Every year. Every year. Yeah. And hopefully you've done study all year so that you pass your exam. Right. You get it. You get it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and as you say, and it's all those learnings and previous vintages as well that you, you bring to it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That just keep regurgitating yeah. as well. Yeah. And so you're enjoying the moi experience? and It has been a roller coaster ride because... You've got vintage and seasons and grapes to manage, but then because you're so small and you're just one, you're a one-man team or woman, you have to do everything yourself. Your budget is small, so how do you get around some of those bigger budget questions um, and problems? The biggest thing I've found is... Working with family is wonderful up until a point. <laughs> you can only ask them to do you a favour so many times. Yeah. Um, and then it starts costing you too much wine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or time, I think. They always put family on the back burner. So, oh, Renee doesn't need this for another six months. She'll mm. be fine. Mm. Um, my biggest challenge, I think, is really trying to nail marketing and sales. But I, from what I hear from everyone out there in the wine industry, I think that's everyone's problem. Mm. So mm. I'm not alone. No, no. Well, you know, w- once you've you've put all your passion and heart into it, um, 
it, at the end, it's a product still that mm. you have to get into market and get into front in front of people. Exactly. Mm. Mm. It is a product, and it's a it's becoming a fast moving consumer good to a lot of people, and oh, that's frustrating. But I understand why. Mm. It's certainly an interesting history when you look at back at how it became a fast-moving consumer good in New Zealand specifically. Um, and it was good and bad. You know, having more exposure of wine to people and it in the supermarkets specifically has meant that more people are interested in wine. But it's also had that the other effect of people buying their toothpaste with their bottle of salve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. Um, what what what's getting the um, prominent shelf space mm. decision sometimes? Mm. Yeah, mm. and it's no longer looked at as like a, an artisanal, beautiful luxury product, um, for a lot of people. Mm. For some people, it does. Yes. Yeah. 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 And you know, arguably, maybe that's the introduction for some people. It may never be. Yeah. And it's okay. That's just their enjoyment of it. But for others. You know, you might hopefully think of it as that's the introduction for them and yeah. going and going to because there is so much to. I explore. can't be too judgmental. I mean, my introduction was <laughs> yeah. under the house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, do you do so? Um, pretty much, you're doing one varietal a year, just seeing what's what's around and what grabs you, and yeah. Yeah, it's it is about what the season can provide as well. So. And it's Auckland yeah. produce. Yep. Yep. I'm an Auckland diehard Aucklander. Yeah, good. <laughs> and we have some incredible grapes and wines coming out of Auckland and have always been. Mm. But people forget about Auckland mm. and they don't really care about it. But we make fantastic Chardonnay. We have incredible clay soils out there and... My ultimate goal would be to make a Chardonnay. I'm not sure if you can call yourself a winemaker until you make your own Chardonnay. Right. Um, because of the challenge challenge of getting it right? Uh, Chardonnay can be whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So it's almost an expression of who you are right. as a winemaker. Mm-hmm. And I want that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I love the Auckland Chardonnays. And when when you're talking Auckland, you're talking pretty much West Auckland. So you, do you include Waiheke in in the region of Auckland and Matakana? Yeah, generally yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, West Auckland Chardonnay in mm. particular is okay. where my heart is. Yeah. But there are some amazing Chardonnays coming out of Matakana mm. and Waiheke. Mm. Um, but... My job, my current job at the moment is the assistant winemaker at Westbrook. So everyone knows that the assistant winemaker actually does all the work. <laughs> the head winemaker they just do now. swans around <laughs> with a glass of wine in their hand. <laughs> I actually, my best friend, my current mentor, my boss, James Rowan, he is a legendary character in the wine industry. Yeah, My job good. interview, really, unofficially, was our, we went for a five-day tramp around Mount Ruapehu. 
Mm. And he said to me, if we can survive this together, we can survive vintage. And it was hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was in November, so we had everything thrown at us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It can Sleet. be quite changeable still. Yeah. 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 Snow, a little bit of sun, lots of rain. Um, and the southern circuit, there's pretty much no one walking that circuit. Right. So it was often just James and I on the side of this volcano. Yeah. Because everyone does the crossing. Exactly, yeah, in the yeah. high heels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, we made it and we knew at the end of that tramp that we were going to make this, we were going to rock vintage cool. together. Oh, that's good. That's a good job interview. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's quite legal, but uh, that's our unofficial take on what yeah, happened. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. And um, what about this year? What, what did you produce this year, 2019? 2019, I produced a rosé. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best rosé I've ever made. And not many people rave about rosé, mm. but I truly believe that we make a good rosé in Auckland because we have some sort of hangover vineyards of red grapes planted. And a lot of the times, a lot of the time, they're actually older vineyards. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're producing red fruit get almost ripe for red wine, but then the rains come. Right. So if you pick it, it's some of the best fruit for rosé. Yeah. If you pick it before the rain, obviously. So... What varietals are you? So at the moment, um, I'm sourcing Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot. There's a little bit of Malbec, a little bit of Cab Franc, a little bit of Pinot Noir, and... There's another one I've forgotten. But it's this amalgamation of beautiful, ripe red fruit that could make a red wine, but because the rains were about to come, I had to pick it. Mm. And it's gone into this rosé, and it's beautiful. Mm. It's just, we're getting a lot of colour this year. Right. I think a lot of fruit is um, phenolically quite ripe this year this vintage and it's probably the best rosé I've made good good and I'm a quite serious white rosé winemaker yeah yeah. I, I do a bit of barrel ferment I do a few different yeast strains a few different ferments and yeah I, I actually really want my rosés to be intellectual rosés mm-hmm. um, which you can pair with food because nice. I love food yep and Auckland right at my doorstep with incredible restaurants and the cuisine is outrageous mm. here so I I want my wines to be considered for for food and wine matching. Nice. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, a, a good rosé um, does pair well with, mm. with the right thing, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, and I'm about to release my 2017 Red Field Blend so it's basically those varieties that were made into a red wine mm-hmm. in 2017 mm-hmm. and I don't know last year I tried it and I thought oh no what have I done I, I don't know I've just screwed up somehow but this year I've opened it and it's totally different it's mm. it's like it was a gangly teenager last year yeah. and, and now this one I mean this year sorry yeah. It's so much 
more vibrant and some of those tertiary characters are coming through um and i think i could probably keep it for another year before i release it are you um, just been keeping it in in bottle or have you had it yeah like, yeah so i bottled it at the beginning of last year mm-hmm. and then just aging it in bottle just tasting it every now and then and yeah. determining if it's ready i think a lot of wine gets released before it's ready yeah um well i think um you know we've sort of talked about that before on the podcast it part, <clears throat> partly excuse me to do with the um the fact that new zealand produces for cash flow they need to yeah. be able to sell what they produce and if you sell it then people are going to drink it and they uh, can make more the next year yeah i but, get um, it yeah you know, it's quite um you know it's a little bit of a um luxury to be able to hold back and even if you know that it should be and and it wait is. on it because you're obviously not getting anything for a yeah. year mm. And it is a luxury to be able to have your own brand. And a lot of people will give you stick about it because, oh, you're a winemaker and you've got ego to do your own brand. And actually, no, it's just me investing in my learning. Mm-hmm. I need to make my own mistakes and I don't want to make the mistakes on other people's wine. Mm. Well, it's, no, there's nothing wrong with um, doing it yourself. <laughs> yeah. But it means that you you also don't have to spend a lot of money on the capital costs of owning assets, like a winery, for Mm. instance. Mm. So you're going to see quite a lot of little brands popping up who are doing exactly the same thing Mm. and really challenging the status quo of what the New Zealand wine industry has always been. Yeah. It's almost like an uprising. Mm. It's quite cool. Yeah, good. We look forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) Revolutions are very French, aren't they? Um, So we finish on um, the question, if you could have any glass of wine with anyone, anywhere, at any time, (laughs) um, who and where and when would that be? I have two answers. Okay, that's okay. The first one is Jesus. Right. And I say this because he was actually the first celebrity winemaker. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently 2,000 years ago, he turned water into wine. Yeah. And he became famous. Yeah. And I think he would be pretty rad to to have a conversation with over some of his wine. Yeah. Also, Cleopatra. I don't know why, she's just badass. So it would be quite cool to party with her. Yeah. You know, I think she'd have some interesting stories. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently she could speak a lot of languages. Oh. Hmm. Could she speak English? Uh, I don't know about I that. Don't I don't think English was, was around English back was then. English <laughs> around her part of the world, but I think uh, there were quite a few different languages around where she was. Oh, that's cool. And, yeah. so, and what would you have? What would you have with Cleopatra? I think I'd have some champagne with her. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, Maybe just sitting on something sort of floating down the Nile. Yeah, I mean... Mm. I wasn't always a fan of champagne until I had a glass of Le Grand Dame and it was it was only maybe 30 mils that I was poured. That was the best champagne I'd had ever. Right. And it just blew me away yeah. and I became a fan of champagne. Yeah. And now I drink it all the time. Yeah, well, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I have to start making my own though because it's getting quite expensive. Yeah. Well, that can be the ne- next year's 2020. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, well, thanks, Renee. I appreciate that. It's been Pleasure. great. Yeah, it's been great having you on. And um, yeah, we look forward to what else is coming out of Moah Wines in the future. Yeah, maybe some bubbles. Yeah, maybe some bubbles. Bubble cool. trouble. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cheers, Renee. Thanks, Boris. We've been speaking with Renee Dale from Moah Wines in New Zealand. If you want to find out more about what Renee is doing, you can look them up online. It's Moi. Uh, moment of impact so moiwines.com and also if you want to have a look at what's happening at Westbrook you can go to westbrook.co.nz be sure to have a listen to some of the other great New Zealand wine podcasts and go and check out podcast.nz which has podcasts from lots of other topics that are well worth listening to and this episode has been brought to you by bazibu.com if you're wanting to start at your business go and check out bazibu has all the steps you need to get that done thanks for listening in we look forward to your company again very shortly e mai bye for now